Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's Light the Tower. Your daily look around the world of sports. With Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. Light it up on a Monday. Monday edition of Light the Tower on The Horn. Live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for being a part of today's presentation. I am Jeff Howe, back from vacation, get the batteries recharged. It was out a couple of days before last week, too, so a prolonged absence. Those of you who were anxiously anticipating my demise it has been greatly exaggerated i'm sorry to say so i'm back not in the big chair but the next to biggest chair if that makes any sense uh craig starts his vacation today so we won't see or hear from craig until big 12 media days that is the 12th and 13th 13th and 14th 12 and 13th i think is what it is at AT at&t stadium Uh, i believe our esteemed producer behind the glass uh, the real MVP of Light the Tower, the play-by-play prodigy, Cameron Parker. Cameron, are you going to Media Days? Have you figured that out yet? Yeah, I'll be up there with you guys. Nice, nice. So Cam will be there. Hey, I need to apologize to Cam before we get started. Um, sometimes I forget that even though my microphone is off so Gen Pop can't hear me, Cam still can, and I just coughed into the microphone before we got started. So Cam, I apologize. If, oh, that's uh, all right, Jeff. If I'm, just, I'm glad you're back, and for those not watching on, Twi- on Twitch, Jeff, you're glowing. I mean, you look recharged. You look refocused. Walt Disney World must have been very good to you. We'll we'll get to the vacation recap for sure. Um, we'll, I, I want a full recap of your experience at Walt Disney. Because the text messages that you were sending me and Craig, Craig, we read them on air. Um, oh, sound like did. some great stories. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you guys like the one about the safari? Yes, that was the best one. Yeah. I. Uh, it was very. Uh, it was very good. Actually, you know what, Cam? Um, we let me double check this because I don't want to jump the gun here. I don't like being the guy that jumps the gun. Uh, a little we, breaking news. We may be starting the show off with some breaking news, some breaking Texas basketball news. Maybe, perhaps. Yes, we are starting with some Texas basketball breaking news. Give me that breaking news sounder, Cam. Rodney Terry is, in fact, going to have a member of the 2023 recruiting class on his roster for the coming season, for the 2023-24 season, his first season at the helm. Chris Johnson, four-star combo guard, out of Montvert Academy, but by way of Fort Bend Elkins, he has committed 
to the Texas Longhorns. That is coming from our Brandon Jenkins at 24-7 Sports. So there it is. Chris Johnson is uh, is officially a member of the Texas signing class. You'll remember Chris Johnson signed with Kansas, got out of his national letter of intent with Kansas, and he is now going to Texas. A lot of Texas ties he had. Uh, T.J. Ford, he was uh, really close to T.J. Ford. T.J.'s been kind of a mentor to him. So this is a really big get for Texas. Uh, Cam, any any initial thoughts on this? Yeah, a six foot four combo guard. Um, really like his upside. Probably needs to develop his three point shot a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but he's an exciting prospect, I think, to this this Texas roster. I like it because when you look at the makeup of it, and you think about, you always have to be thinking a year ahead in college basketball if you can. I like the fact that. You know you've got one year with the Max Asmus, All-American, two-time Summit League Player of the Year, one of the, the active leading scorer in Division One, And most likely, I think one more year with Tyrese Hunter. I think you, you knew you were going to get at least one. You were hoping for two. I think three would be pushing it for Tyrese, whether that's taking another crack at the NBA, you're starting a career overseas, taking a shot on getting a two-way deal like Jabari Rice got. Whatever it is, you know, you're – you're only thinking you maybe got one more year with Tyrese left. So that sets you up for the 24-25 season. In addition to anybody that you get out of the portal or in the class of 2024, I like the fact that now you can go into that the, what would be Rodney Terry's second full season, most likely with Chris Johnson yeah. and Kendall Weaver just taking steps up from what probably are going to be roles on the periphery this year to taking major roles with that team the following year as being, okay, these guys are our backcourt. Now let's surround them with whatever we feel like we need. Yeah, and he gets a full year to develop. You know, probably won't get a lot of playing time this year, especially with how deep the Texas front court is. But gives him time to, you know, learn and develop more and more and go into his sophomore season, possibly his redshirt freshman season, as someone who's ready to, you know, be a big part of the – point guard, shooting guard responsibilities. <laughs> this is kind of torpedoed my plan for the show because I didn't think Chris Johnson was going to make his commitment this early. I knew it was coming today, but I was thinking it was going to be more something like this afternoon. So we're going to talk Texas basketball in the second hour Longhorn Notebook, but we'll just switch it up. And honestly, the first hour Longhorn Notebook, we're going we're gonna to do a little uh, FAQ at the bottom of the hour, Cam. Uh, I'm sending Cam some questions. I've got some questions for Cam. The Cam is going to ask me, uh, this stems from something I did right before, literally a couple hours before I went to the airport on Monday. My buddy Kevin Flaherty, who covers National College Football and Basketball for us at 24-7 Sports, sent me some some Texas questions for a kind of a, a he's doing a publisher slash writer Q&A with uh, most of the Big 12 schools, teams inside what's going to be our, our preseason top 25 at 24-7 Sports. And basically it was questions. I'm like, you know, I, I get Avin asked these a lot. So we're going to go down those kind of a, a refresher. You know, Cam, like when you, you know, middle school and high school, when you, it usually happens in math class. I don't know why it happens in math class. Like you show up for the first day of class and the teacher's like, I'm going to give you a quiz. This isn't for a grade. I just want to see how much you retained over the summer, yeah. kind of where you're at. So it's be a nice refresher for me. Just kind of get me back in the groove of things. Did you purposely like would fail on those quizzes so you could just get go back to like easier it, math work? It was math, dog. I didn't have to try hard to to fail yeah. like that. Right or there to with come you. Up short. Right there with you. I was not was not very prolific at uh, at math. Um. No pre-calc for Jeff Howell at uh No, I, I, as, a matter of th- as a matter of fact, I liked Algebra 2 so much, I took the second half of it twice. <laughs> I just liked it that much. I was so intrigued by it. Uh, 
But no, that's uh, so anyway, if you're just tuning in, Chris Johnson, four star combo guard out of Montverde Academy in Florida. Originally, he's a Houston kid out of Fort Bend Elkins. He has committed to the Texas Longhorns uh, in our uh, 24-7 sports in-house rankings, the number 73 overall prospect in the class of 2023. And Cam, it's uh it avoids the 2023 class for Rodney Terry being a disaster right now. Uh when you look at just the way things shook out, and honestly, I mean, it was no fault of Rodney Terry. I mean, AJ Johnson yeah. took a what what could end up being a very lucrative deal with the NBL in Australia, and then Ron Holland gets out of his letter of intent, and Arkansas fans just, you know, go number one all over themselves, thinking, "Oh my gosh, we got Ron Holland." Well, no, you don't. He's going to the G League Ignite program, and then he'll be a top three to five pick in the twenty twenty four draft. So. To no fault of his own, Rodney Terry has no high school recruits. And I knew they were kicking the tires on some guys that hadn't signed yet or they, they probably weren't going to sign a national letter intent. We're just going to do the thing where you just show up on campus. They they kicked the tires on some guys and either it wasn't the right fit or just the timing was off or whatever the case was. Uh, it, it just didn't work out. But the Chris Johnson timing played very much in their favor. You had a kid that got out of his national letter intent at the time where you were looking to add another piece to your roster, forget recruiting class, you were just looking at a piece of your roster. I know they were leaving no stone unturned in the portal. They're doing a lot of things. And then I don't think I don't think they're gonna leave any stone unturned. I don't think they're looking to uh, finish adding pieces, Cam, until the bitter, bitter end. Because now you've got this West Virginia deal with uh it sounds like Kirk Carissa is is gonna stay at West Virginia. He's gonna stay in Morgantown. But you know, what's that roster gonna look like? You've got other guys. Uh I just saw Yesterday was it yesterday? Javon Quinterly yeah. from Alabama yeah. entered the portal as a grad transfer. Yeah, like that came out of left field. So they're not going to stop roster building until it is no longer conducive to building a roster. Until it is absolutely beyond the point of where it's productive. If, when, when it gets counterproductive, they'll stop. But they're going to go up until the eleventh hour looking to add pieces. But they add Chris Johnson, and you're right, Cam. I, I you've got a guy that. Definitely needs to work on from what our guys at 24-7 Sports have observed. Adam Finkelstein, Brandon Jenkins, the guys that have seen him in person multiple times. Kind of the book on Chris Johnson is needs to work on not so much shot selection but mechanics. Uh, just kind of refine some things. And I, I think this is kind of where you get, you know, you the waters can get muddied a little bit when you're looking at college basketball guys, especially guys that are going to be guards, guys that you expect to be shooters. I think sometimes you can get too caught up in percentages and – think well this guy either can shoot or he can't shoot bill self you look at the 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 undervalued guards bill self has recruited that Mm -hmm. end up being really good shooters because that kansas staff has done a really good job does kansas get five-star prospects yes they do do they get guys that are you know potentially one and done lottery picks absolutely without question but that staff does a really good job and i think scott drew at baylor does a really good job of this too they get guys that when they watch them on the AAU scene, they watch them in high school, guys that just have really good, maybe not even good baseline mechanics, but there's something that they see in their mechanics, in their shot that says, you know what, we can refine that, and that guy can be a good shooter, especially if it's a guy like Chris Johnson that you don't need him to be a 40% three-point shooter, a 35% three-point shooter right out of the gate. He can find whatever his role is. Mixing with Kendall Weaver, knowing that Tyrese Hunter and Max Aismas are going to run your backcourt. So I love this addition for the Longhorns, getting Chris Johnson. 
as a as a twenty twenty three commit right now. Not going to sign the national letter of intent. Probably going to sign some kind of scholarship agreement, sign those scholarship papers, and he'll be on campus for the second summer session. So really good news to start off. That, that's good stuff, Cam. I come back in the first segment. Back we got breaking Texas basketball news. There's uh, so Anwar Richardson, right from OB. He always when he goes on vacation, he likes to talk about you know well when I go on vacation, you know everyone starts committing to Texas. I don't know. Jeff, because you're also on vacation, and the Texas recruiting class picked up five football commits <laughs> while you were in Walt Disney Nuts, World. Man. Plus, your first first day back in the first what five minutes of the show, Texas adds Chris Johnson. I don't know. You know, I'm not saying anything, but hey, I'm just saying. Yeah, uh, that was kind of Mike Roach's deal. Like Mike would go on vacation. By the way, Mike Roach is not left us at 24-7 Sports. He just moved on to the national side. Still contributing to the flagship message board at Horns 24-7 where you can get uh, Tommy Yarish's Chris Johnson story on his verbal commitment. We've got that up on the on the site. Uh, the stampede is absolutely loaded. Horns 24-7 right now loaded with all the recruiting information you could possibly stomach from a massive recruiting weekend. Uh, but yeah, that was Mike's big deal. When Mike would go on vacation, Texas was bound to get a commit or two in between the time he left and the time he came back. It's just... Just the way the world, just the way things work. Yeah, you know. or if you vacation during the two biggest recruiting weekends for Texas, there's also probably going to be a couple guys who pop, right? That can happen, yeah. Uh, where do you want to start, Cam? Because Texas right now in the class of 2024 on the football front, uh, they're up to seven verbal commitments. Uh, I've missed pretty much all of the recent haul, with the exception of Trey Owens and Michael Kern, who are in the fold. Uh, you had Freddie DuBose and Santana Wilson last weekend, Christian Clark, Going into the weekend, the uh, four-star running back out of the state of Arizona, and then Jarrett Gibson, the big domino to fall, uh, high-end prospect out of the state of Florida, uh, the number two running back prospect in the country, according to both our 24-7 sports in-house rankings, and the composite, and then you talk about wanting to add big humans, right? We've talked about the big human factor with Sark and Kyle Flood. Nate Kibble out of Tascacita in the greater Houston area. How's six, uh, six, 324 sound, Cam? Big. For an interior offensive line. Big. So where do you want to start, Cam? I'll, I'll, I'll let you kind of take the lead on this because I, I don't know. You brought up recruiting, so I don't know where, where you want to go with it. Well, last week we, we touched on it a little bit with Craig during the Longhorn Notebook, but we didn't spend a lot of time in it. So for those you know who are listeners to the show, we can just start from the very beginning, right? I believe the first commitment to come in last week was to Santana Wilson. Yes. Yeah, so that was going into the first weekend, and during the first weekend, it was Santana Wilson and then Freddie DuBose. Yeah, Santana, I believe uh, the son, the former NFL star, Adrian Wilson, longtime safety. Ferocious hitter. For the Arizona Cardinals. So, Ferocious hitter, Adrian Wilson. Yeah, let's just start with Santana and Freddie and then kind of you know work from there, I think, right? Yeah, Santana, by the way, I was thinking about this, and I haven't. It's funny, like, when, you, when I unplug, it's funny when I do happen to look at my phone, like, you know, back at the hotel while we're on vacation, and I'll look at my phone, just kind of see what I missed during the day. There was a day there was a day last week where I'm like, why, in the name of all that is holy, is Chris Stapp's Porzingis trending? What could Porzingis have done? And I'm like, oh, the Celtics. It's your favorite time of the year for NBA, the Jeff. The Celtics did the same thing the Mavericks did. You look at what Chris Stapp's Porzingis is when he's healthy, and you become intoxicated by it. And the Celtics did it, man. They did it. I'm like, no, no, Boston, no. Don't do it. See, I like it for Boston because here's the thing with when you guys traded for him, 
Jeff, Kristaps was going to be the number two to Luca, right? That was the plan. The plan was that he doesn't have to be number two in Boston. He can be number three. Well, he, he can work off the pick and rolls with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I agree. When he's healthy, he's one of the best. He's like honestly very underrated player in the league. The problem is, will he be healthy? And what does Boston do? Do they extend him? Do they sign him to a hundred million dollar plus contract? There's a lot on the table. But I think for for Boston, I think it's a good move getting rid of Marcus Smart and taking on. Kristaps, uh, and how do we get on Kristaps away from uh, Texas football recruiting? I don't know. I was just talking about what's trending and okay. what you miss out on. On Twitter, but okay. Yeah. Uh, so Santana Wilson commits. Uh, you know, I, I just I like the fact that Sark and, and Terry Joseph and PK they've got a type that they want. They want six foot plus corners. Uh, and you look at Santana Wilson, six foot one eighty. You like the NFL bloodlines? Uh, out of Scottsdale, Arizona, Desert Mountain High School. That underrated football state Arizona is. I, I think with Bijan going early in the first round and some of the other guys they produced, I think we're seeing that state become a little more prominent. Uh, so I like that pickup. Uh, a top 300 prospect in the country, uh, number 265 overall in the composite. And then Freddie DuBose out of Smithson Valley uh, played initially, initially was a standout at Church Clemens, only played one game last season, tore his ACL in the opener. Uh, but came back, had a really good season on the track, and he's a guy, Cam, that I could see really rising in the recruiting rankings, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what he looks like as a senior. For As we know around here, it's a really good Smithson Valley program. Was dominant in that first game against San Antonio Reagan. So Freddie DuBose is a really, really nice prospect, especially considering the way things are trending for Texas with Micah Hudson out of Lake Belton. This is a really, really good pickup for Texas to get Freddie DuBose in the boat. So with Micah Hudson, now right now on 247sports.com, 100% crystal ball at Texas Tech. And I haven't heard anything that leads me to believe that will change. But He was supposed to announce his commitment last night, by the way. And, and he did not. He did? Did not. Did not. So I feel like with Micah Hudson, as the case with a lot of guys, it's going to be a recruiting battle that until that letter comes in, you know, I won't take too much into it, right? I won't put too much into it because a lot of these guys, I mean – even this, we saw with, with Hunter Modden, who decommitted uh, last week. You know, he was one of the first takes for Sark in this 2024 class. Mm-hmm. I believe he was recruited as a as a was he a wideout who played more cornerback. Yeah, Texas liked him as a corner. Yeah, and he played more receiver. I think this last year than cornerback, and I think that's maybe why you know the, the decommitment came through. But a lot of these guys, Jeff, I mean, they they change. I think the big part is just getting that recruiting momentum. Like last year, we saw the Arch Manning, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing. Texas did not have a big recruiting class in 2023 until Arch committed, which happened Friday a year ago, right? And then the domino started the fall. I don't know if Jarrett Gibson is that domino of the fall, but certainly something has occurred the last two weeks because Texas went from one or two commits to seven in uh, in, a, in two weekends. Yeah, I, I just think I think what people need to know at this point about Sark and the staff, they're going to be patient. They're not afraid to Which get I love. to get into big recruiting battles. Uh, and, and look, I've seen Texas staffs get themselves in trouble going this route. I've seen really the last three staffs do it. And Tom Herman, to a, a far lesser extent, than especially Mack at the end or or Charlie Strong, sometimes you just take a guy for the sake of getting a, a shot in the arm mm-hmm. and it's a guy that you realize you took him way too early and then by the time it's signing day he's probably not a guy you'd want in your recruiting class 
Uh, Tom Herman had far less of those than than Charlie Strong did, and Charlie Strong had far less of those than Mac Brown did at the end. But still, Sark's not going to take a guy just to take a guy. Like honestly, they could have taken the commitment if they wanted to push for a commitment for Freddie Dubose. They probably could have had him back in February, but they were patient. They let some things play out on the wide receiver board because honestly, they were they were recruiting Micah Hudson. They're still recruiting Micah Hudson. Uh, Brian Wesco out of Midlothian, another in-state receiver uh, that they're really high on, is coming into Clemson. So they've kind of really let the board play out. Um, you look at a couple of the other receivers in state. Draylon Miller, who had a just a fantastic showing mm-hmm. at State 707 over the weekend. Draylon Miller's not a guy that's really on the radar for Texas. But, uh, you know, based on what Hudson Standish has reported, uh, Terry Bussey from Timpson, the, the number one athlete prospect in the country. Is he, is he the biggest guy outside of Colin Simmons that's on the, the Texas recruiting board, you yeah. think? Yeah, and I think Texas is – He's based, certainly the highest ranked outside of Simmons, I believe, yeah, number and, 15 in the in the, in the nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and based on what Hudson reported over the weekend, uh, Texas really needed to do a lot of work to get themselves back in the mix with him. seems like they're back, back in the mix, so they've at least got a shot. Have they done enough to overtake you know, Texas A&M in that recruitment? To be seen, to be determined, but they've at least got themselves back in the mix. So – that, that's just what Sark and company are going to do. They're going to let the board play out. They're going to really go through the evaluation period in the spring, really let things, you know, kind of let the board kind of work itself out, for lack of a better term. And then by the time they get to this big wave of official visit weekends in June, now they'll have a really good idea of the guys that they want to push for commitments from and what they want their class to look like going into the fall. And keep in mind, it's probably going to be a smaller class than we've seen the last two years because you've taken not only have you taken bigger classes, you haven't had that much attrition. This is where attrition's a constant give and take. It's really good that you haven't had a bunch of guys get in the portal. You've still got competition ongoing throughout the roster. The downside of that is you might take a few less recruits than maybe you plan on taking. And it probably means too, Cam, you're gonna have to stay on some guys through the fall and hope they don't sign or commit somewhere in the early period. So that way, when you've got a better idea of what your 2024 roster is going to look like after the 23 season, when guys have a chance during the winter to get in the portal and head somewhere else, hopefully you've got a chance to, I hate using the term fallback plan or a fail safe, but guys that you've been on now, maybe you, those guys are still available. Now you really have room to make a run at those guys. It's going to be a case with some of these guys, they're going to lose out on some really good prospects just because they might have not have room for a guy. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a give and take with attrition. Uh, but we'll continue to talk about the recruiting class for Texas for 2024 throughout the show. Again, the Longhorns are up to seven verbal commitments after another just really fantastic weekend. A lot of positivity coming out of the 40 acres from these visits. Jarrett Gibson, four-star running back out of IMG Academy, is in the boat as well as Nate Kibble, the big offensive lineman out of Atascacita. You know what we need to do, Ken? We've got to hit a break, but we have to give away a copy of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. Give it away two today during the show. Trust me. I got that text from Craig Way. I, I, I didn't forget about DCTF. So we're going to go right now. You know what, Cam? Since there were four different parks that my family and I visited over the weekend at Disney World, We'll go caller number four. You want to give them the hotline number, Cam? 512-447-3776. Call the hotline right now. If you're caller four, you want a copy of Dave Campbell's Texas football. Come right back. 
shift from recruiting to what's actually going to happen on the gridiron for Texas in 2023. Do a little summer FAQ on the Longhorns in this hour's edition of the Longhorn Notebook. We'll do that when we come back. This is Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Went down the hall to grab some water. Didn't think we'd be that can break that quick, but such is life on Light the Tower. A busy Monday on Light the Tower on the Horn. It's Jeff Howe, it's Cameron Parker. In case you missed it, breaking Texas basketball news. You know what, Cam? I'm feeling so good. Give me the breaking news sounder again. In case you missed it, Rodney Terry and Company picked up a high school prospect for the class. 2023 to add to the 2023-24 roster. It's Chris Johnson, four-star combo guard at a Montvert Academy, that prep powerhouse in the state of Florida. Originally, he he's from Fort Bend Elkins, a Fort Bend Elkins product. He's from the Houston area, so a local kid. Uh, TJ Ford has been a mentor of his. One-time Kansas signee. He is now in the fold with Texas. Uh, Sark and company killing it on the recruiting trail. Putting themselves in position in a position to to close on some really really nice high end prospects, uh, up to seven verbal commitments in the class of 2024. I've seen David Pearson company starting to work the portal, looking for pitching depth. So a lot of good stuff on the recruiting front. But let's go ahead and talk about what's actually going to happen on the field, and we'll do that in this hour's edition of the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. By the way, Cam, did we get a winner for the? This hour's copy of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Congrats to our third winner on the show, Cindy Bartek, for nice. winning a free copy of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. We'll give away another one in hour number two. All right, so like I said, I wanted to do a Longhorn, kind of a, we'll call this a Longhorn Summer FAQ. I did a, I participated in what's going to be, and it might be up, uh, it might be up, you might be able to get that at Horns 24-7 right now, I don't know, or it might be out this week at some point. But at any rate... Uh, Kevin Flaherty, my colleague at 24-7 Sports, and by the way, get over to Horns 24-7 anyway, 
and get all of the recruiting coverage from the weekend. I love our recruiting team, Hudson Standish, Jordan Scruggs, Hank South. They did a phenomenal job covering the two official visit weekends, a lot of really good information, so get over to the site and check it out. We've also got, if you're not a member, you want to get some of that recruiting content, we've got an offer that I don't think you can refuse if you're not a Horns 24-7 subscriber, so get over to the site and check it out. Uh, at any rate, I digress. Uh, I participated in a, a Q&A with my man Kevin Flaherty. Uh, Kevin's, Kevin covers uh, national college football and basketball at 24-7 Sports. And just asked me some Texas questions. Then, as I was answering them before I headed to the airport to start my vacation, I thought, "Man, I haven't asked these questions a lot." And I, if, if you missed the first segment of the show, I compared it with Cam. I said, "You know, this is kind of like when you you show up for first day of math class in middle school or high school, and the teacher says, you know, I'm going to give you a quiz. It's not for a grade. Just kind of want to see where you're at. Just see what you've retained, where the baseline is. So, in an effort to get." Uh, kind of refocused on Texas football coming off vacation. I'm going to have Cam just read these questions, and your feedback is welcome on the Specs text line, 337-3776. Cam, you have the questions, correct? Yeah, you ready to go? I'm, I'm, I'm ready, ready to rock and roll. All right, so the first question is actually a two-part question. Love, love the two-parters. Sark loves when I ask the two-parters. I say that in jest. I think he's annoyed by them. But I think I'm, every coach and player loves them. You think Sarcastically, so? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just really dig it. Sark, so question one. I have gotten the answer from Sark, by the way. When uh, when I've asked Sark a question, he'll just look at me and he goes, that's a lot, man. Yeah. So I have, I have a tendency to do that. They'll, they'll throw shade by, um, by they'll say that, and they'll answer the first question, and they'll be like, what, what was the second question again? Sorry. Yeah. It, was, it was a long question. What was that again? Yeah. Sorry, Sark. I know you're not listening, but somebody relay that to the head ball coach. I'm, I apologize for my long-winded multi-part questions. But anyway, Cam, go ahead. What are the expectations for Texas football in its final Big 12 season, and what would be considered a success, and what would be considered a failure? I think anything short of making the Big 12 championship game would be not living up to expectations. That's where I've got the bar set. And you can... If as I've said, if you want to go as far as to say it's Big Twelve Championship or bust, I don't really have a problem with that. But if Texas does what TCU did last year, I'm I know I'm splitting hairs here. If Texas has a TCU like season where they go through the regular season undefeated and losing a Big Twelve Championship game, can you call that a failure? Like, well, they didn't win a conference championship, but a tw- I think unless something weird happens, Cam, a twelve and one Texas is in the playoff. Yes. Well, I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. You would think so. Well, so we'd have to see what the rest of the what the rest of college football looks like. But I, because uh, that one loss, you you're going to say what Bama or Oklahoma, but twelve and one means you're the Big Twelve champion. I believe that gets you in as uh, as one of the top four. Yeah, for sure. So I'll say anything less than making it to Arlington, playing for a Big Twelve championship. Is is a disappointment. If you may, if you make it there, you're. I think you're at least like I don't know. Let's see. It's like a break even point. It's like okay, you you met expectations. Now can you exceed them? Go win a Big Twelve championship and then get in the playoff. So considering all the the good positive stuff we've heard about Quinn Ewers, I think the last couple of months and it's been heating up. Um, there was some some scouts talking about how how Ewers says his arm movement looks looks a little bit better. He's taking everything more seriously. We, we've heard. Him talk about it in his you know press conferences, 
this is going to be a huge year for Quinn Quinn Ewers. And if he plays the way that I think he's going to play, that he's going to step up right, he's gotten over that that freshman hump. He's realized I need to take the game a little bit more seriously, put more put more work in. He's practicing harder. He looks good. The offense will be healthy. It should be a really big year, I think, for Ewers in Texas. Yeah, uh, and there's a question coming up about Quinn Ewers, too. I, I was thinking about this about Quinn, too. I was watching some Dylan Rayola film over the weekend, like just catching up on some Elite 11 stuff. And by the way, we'll talk about uh, Elite 11 a little bit in our uh, our Flex segment coming up next hour. But I uh, I was watching some Dylan Rayola film, and I'm like, man, and just watching the quarterbacks, I'm like, you know, we we – we killed Quinn for his footwork last year. We're mm-hmm. highly critical of it, and rightfully so. Like there were, there were stuff that you know just didn't look right, didn't look good, and you don't need to be a quarterback evaluator to say, dude, that didn't that didn't look right. But man, there's a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of really talented quarterbacks that have just god awful mechanics <laughs> coming out of high school, and I don't know if it's like. The Patrick Mahomes influence or what, but it's it's just I don't know if it's tempo offenses, if it's the RPO, and just if you look at how college practices are run, how quarterbacks are being taught to not even grip the laces when you're getting the ball out. It's all about getting the ball out quick, quick, wow. quick, be fast. Yeah, uh, it, it's I don't know. It's just kind of made me go, huh? Okay, maybe we were a little too harsh on Quinn. It was right to criticize him. Maybe we were a little too harsh, but I also think Cam and I said this on on the Longhorn Blitz. Uh, we had a, a couple. We've had a couple of Quinn Ewers episodes this off season, and I just felt like when you go back to uh his sophomore year at Southlake, and you just look at the injuries he's had and how he's had to adjust to those injuries, the sports hernia, chief among them. And how it had to, it really, if you look at him throwing as a sophomore to him throwing as a junior, looks just like a totally different guy. The, the development time he missed during COVID on top of the sports turning issue, it just looks like he, to, to compensate, he overcompensated and got himself into some really bad mechanics. So I'm just wondering, dude, does a healthy Quinn Ewers with a full offseason of understanding Sark's offense and really having himself grounded in this program and grounded in this offense – how much better does just that make Quinn Ewers? Like, forget the yeah. work he's putting in and how serious he's taking it. Just from a – just the conditions he's working with are, are seem more conducive to him getting better. And apparently he's bulked up to 210 pounds. He he got his hair cut. I think that was a big factor for a lot of Texas fans who didn't like the mullet. I mean, it just seems all around, you know, kind of came in. You know, he, he was the man in high school, right? That junior year at South Lake Carroll, he was the number one quarterback. He got his Texas commitment in. Then he went to Ohio State. Maybe went a little bit cocky, right? Maybe thought, you know, I don't have to worry about my footwork as much. I can rely on my talent. And I think he got to Texas, thought that, and it didn't work out. We saw the second half. I mean, he played great in the Alabama game, but when he came back from the injury, he struggled, right? A lot of it was maybe against the, you know, the the defenses he went up against, Oklahoma State, TCU, Iowa State. You know, they they got in his head, right? The flyover defense, the three three five. They got in his head. He did. He had some awful second halves in that in that that season, and I think finally, you know, in between the last game and the Colorado game, I thought he played really well in Colorado against Colorado or not Colorado, excuse me, at Washington. Yeah, in the Alamo Bowl, he just there was a couple of big time drops, right? Big time drops from from the offense. Just couldn't get it going against the front line. Oh my gosh, the one worthy drop where he's running. He's yeah, that one's going to be replaying in my mind for a while. But I, I think. That was kind of the beginning for Ewers to really, you know, put more into his regiment, his training, 
his practice, and it seems like throughout the spring, you know, you've heard it from Sark, from everyone on the staff, even from players on the rosters. He's taking this a lot more seriously, and I think that's huge because he's still he's a young kid. And going into last year, he missed, what, two full years of football because he didn't play his senior year, and he didn't play his freshman year at Ohio State. Yeah, it's uh, it's I'm kind of looking at some stuff on the Specs text line, and you know, one and I don't want really to single out texters, but should we be concerned that Malik looks sharper than Quinn in the Orange White game? No, no, because we've seen Quinn Ewers on the field have success at this level. We haven't seen Malik Murphy do anything. Also, look at you know who was on the defense when Malik was a quarterback. Too. Man, if there's one, I look. I know this much about quarterbacks. I know nobody really knows what they're doing. Like even Bill Walsh, you know, the greatest quarterback minds this sport has ever seen, they've still screwed it up, right? They've still gotten it wrong. But I know enough to know that you don't know for sure what you've got at quarterback. You don't know what you've got at that position until two things happen. One, he's actually on the field under the lights when, and I hate this phrase, I hate this expression, but when the bullets are live, and there's 11 guys on the other side of the ball trying to make his life a living hell. How does he react to that? You don't know. And then we've seen Texas quarterbacks have initial success, right? We've seen yeah. Tyrone Swoops, Gerard Hurd, David Ash go down, go down the list. Hell, Sam Ellinger hit that wall. Shane Bouchelle hit that wall. When coaches start to get film on you and they figure out early on in your career where your deficiencies are and the struggles start to happen, can you get over that hump? Can you clear that hurdle? Can you break through that wall? The good ones can. The really good ones can. And the great ones, not only do they break through that wall, they're miles from it by the time their careers are done. So that's kind of the Quinn. And this is this is more of this is kind of topic for later date. The Quinn Ewers trajectory. It reminds me a lot of the Chris Sims trajectory. Just thinking about how things were then and how they are now. Just that's topic for another day, but that's that's kind of where I am on Quinn. Is is it reminds me a lot of a lot of the same things you're saying about Quinn Ewers right now in terms of the ceiling, the pedigree, et cetera, et cetera. The flashes you've seen, a lot of it reminds me about what we saw from Chris Sims. Really after after that two thousand season, that first year where he, he really got to play a lot. Because that ninety nine season doesn't really count too much. He was the number one quarterback in this class. Right? In, the, in the country, yeah. The ceiling is there. It's there. It's just, can he tap into it? And so, you know, we can sit here and talk about it, but, you know, I agree with the Specs text line. He's got to do it in the game, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought he played excellent against Alabama. You know, what happens if he doesn't get injured in that game? You know, that's we can just, you know, all come up with theories, but until he does it for a full game. You know, yeah. I'm with I'm with Texas fans, and I think that week two matchup against Alabama at Brian Denny will be a huge litmus test to see where is Quinn Ewers at. Has he really progressed? Like, is all this talk about how he's matured and put more work in, is that really the case? And we'll, we'll see this year because if Texas goes 12-1, and I think a big part of that is Quinn Ewers, right? And I think going into this next, you know, NFL draft class, you have you have Drake May, you have Caleb Williams. I think the three, the number three quarterback spot is up for grabs. I think that can be yeah. Quinn Ewers if he has the year that, he should have because remember what his ceiling was coming out of high school. If Quinn has the kind of year he's capable of having, and again, topic for another day, does he pass Drake May? So I, I think Caleb Williams is QB1 for the 24 draft. Yeah, so no, that 
No he, question. He could not play a single snap this year. And, and this I is think. this is Andrew Luck. This is Trevor Lawrence. This is about as sure of a number one pick at that position as you're going to find. I, if if Quinn hits his ceiling, I think it's it's logical, it's feasible that NFL GMs could take a look at him and Drake May side by side and say, you know what, I, I like that kid a little bit better. Yeah, it's all going to be beauty in the eye of the beholder. All right, Cam, we got uh, we got a couple more of these questions. Let's let's get to maybe one or two more, and then we'll save the the rest for the second hour. Well, uh, speaking of Quinn Ewers, so much of the buzz surrounding Texas is the development of Quinn. What is a reasonable level of growth for him this year? Given everything we said, the baseline, that consistency, that baseline he has as a player needs to rise where maybe you're not seeing, you're still getting the wow plays, but you're getting fewer of the good Lord, what was that kind of plays. Like you remember as good as he was against Oklahoma, you remember the interception he threw? Where it's Which like one? he tried to throw it out of bounds and he just chucked it up down mm-hmm. the sideline yeah, yeah. and it's like dude kind of floated in the air for a little bit yeah, yeah. throw that in the tenth row like just you know that arm he's got like and I I hate it for Quinn but like CB Texan by the way CB thank you for your contributions I missed them while I was out you you talk about like the Manning Passing Academy and you see Quinn just like effortlessly throwing the ball 50, 60 yards down the field. It's like that Jeff George, Kyle Bowler, Jamarcus Russell stuff where it's like, okay, you saw Anthony Richardson, the same thing with his draft. You're like, how does that relate to what you're actually going to do in a game? Yeah, I think some of that stuff gets, Quinn gets, not he that not that he does it, but I think on the us and Gen Pop, us from the outside looking in, we get caught up in just the arm, just the wow factor with his arm. Well, dude, if you got that arm, use it. Like, if it's a bad play, just eat it. Just throw it in the 10th row. Just chunk it as far as you can. Don't, you know, don't kind of be that Mac Brown line, man. You can't be a little bit pregnant. If you make that decision that the play's not there, then really make sure the play's not there and that nothing's bad, nothing bad is going to happen. Live to fight another down. So fewer of the what the heck was that plays. He's still going to have some of them because he's still a developing quarterback. But, look, again, the really good ones we've seen come through this program go back to really started with – and even Chris Sims did this. Go, go, look, go look at Chris Sims in 2001 and Chris Sims in 2002. Fewer of the plays that just make you want to drink drain cleaner and the baseline consistency level got higher. Vince did the same thing. Colt did the same thing. Sam did the same thing. So if Quinn's going to get to anywhere close to his ceiling, he'll he'll show some of that. He'll show that growth this season. Let's, let's get one more, Ken. We, we got time for one more. Texas is replacing one of the best running backs the last decade in B. John Robinson. Is this going to be a by-committee approach, and will someone emerge to take the lion's share of the carries at some point? I think if anybody's going to emerge as the lead dog in the pack, so to say, it's going to be Jonathan Brooks. Yeah. And that's nothing against C.J. Baxter or any of those other guys. I just think, you know, Brooks is going to get that opportunity. I think he's earned that opportunity. I think he deserves that opportunity. Yeah, I don't – I think Texas could still have a top 30-ish run game, top 35 run game in the country and not have a 1,000-yard back. I, I think it could be one of those deals. I think you could have a few different backs go for five, 600 yards. Yeah. Because Brooks is going to get – and if somebody does have a 1,000-yard season, I think it's Jonathan Brooks. I just don't – I think by the time you would – by the time you would need to give C.J. Baxter those kind of carries, Cam, I think you would be at the point in the season to where – you've already realized, okay, we're going away from Brooks, we're going to C.J. Baxter, but you've given it enough time. You've given Brooks ample opportunity to try to prove himself. But that said, 
I don't think the running game is going to be the focal point of this offense. I think it's going to be a complimentary piece because I think it's going to revolve around Quinn Ewers and this passing game, the talent and the depth you've got at the receiver position. And honestly, I think your game plan on a week-to-week basis, if I'm Steve Sarkeesian and I'm drawing it up, I've got to start with how can I best utilize JT Sanders? That's where your game plan has to start to me because Bijan was your unicorn last year, right? It was like, okay, how, how many different ways can I get this guy the ball? How can I maximize his touches? How can I make sure he's making the biggest impact possible on the game? There was that TCU debacle, but that aside, everything else really worked out for Bijan last year. That's what I think you got to do with JT Sanders. I think you've got to look at where the matchups are for him, how do you get him involved, different ways to use him. I think it revolves around JT Sanders. So the running game will always be a part of Sark's offense because Sark wants to play with a physical edge. You want to get the RPO game involved. You want to get your play-action game going. All the stuff that makes Sark's offense work hinges on having a running game that's at the very least competent. I just don't think it's going to be the type of featured piece it's been the last two years. Yeah, a lot of times last year, Zark had to rely on B. John Robinson to carry them the win, right? The Baylor game, Texas does not win that game without B. John Robinson. And even parts of it, Roshan Johnson just literally willing Texas to win that game. Going into this season, Sark likes to put the ball in his best playmakers. Mm-hmm. And you can make an argument that the best playmakers are not in the, in the backfield right now. You're, you just mentioned J.T. Sanders, Worthy, Isaiah Nair. There's a lot of guys who are coming back, and if they can stay healthy, the Texas will have a much bigger dynamic than it was last year where it was like, okay, we have Worthy. We actually, by the way, he's not even 100% the entire year. Right. We have Sanders. Our receiver depth has been depleted. We The only option right now is to give the ball to number five. This year... Did you ever see the first scary movie, Cam, from back in the day? Oh, uh, it's been a while. Or no, this was scary movie too, actually. Never saw the second. Where Chris Elliott was the uh, he was the butler and he had a strong hand. Okay, take my strong hand. That's basically basically X was playing with a strong hand like the the last four or five games of the year. And usually, if you're playing wide receiver, you want to have both hands healthy. I think that's uh, I, I, okay. ideally that's you know you, you'd, you'd like to think so. Two 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 hands are better than one. But going back to the running backs, I think it's going to be a big year for Jonathan Brooks. I know he was not healthy in that Washington game. But also at the same time, you know, we, we saw Sark kind of divvy up the carries right with Bijan and Roshan last year. I think it's going to be the same way with Baxter, even Jaden Blue. I think Sark's going to take his time to kind of really fill his way out with this running back position. But also that position has a lot of depth and a lot of talent. So I don't think it's going to be a one-man horse type of season for any any of those guys. Sark will be the first to tell you he's always had that workhorse back. Yeah, he has. Always had someone over 1,000 yards. But if he doesn't, this will be the year, and I don't think it'll be – if he doesn't, it's not. I don't think it's going to be that big of a hindrance on offense. But I, I do think he's going to give Jonathan Brooks that chance because like what you're talking about, Cam, I like to look at your offense in terms of proven commodities, right? And when I'm running down the list of proven commodities – off the top of my head, I can think of three guys in a pass game before I get to even exactly. thinking about a running back. And really, if you look at A.D. Mitchell has skins on the wall, you can look at your proven commodities and say, however you want to rank them, J.T. Sanders, Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, A.D. Mitchell. That's four wide receivers slash tight ends before you even think about mm-hmm. where the where a running back would rank in terms of the proven commodities on offense. I do. I am interested, though, that Keelan Robinson 
Trey Wisner. I forgot he's even on the roster. Multi-purpose still. Yeah. back, kind of, kind of, kind of. If you think about what the the H position in the old Tom Herman offense, that hybrid position, that hybrid back, what, what kind of role is that guy going to play? Because we saw Keelan had. It's hard to have a a, a good, you know, a, a noteworthy year when the two guys in front of you make up the best backfield tandem in the country, and people can dispute that, but go look at the numbers. It's hard to argue against it. I mean, Keelan Robinson really developed into a reliable receiver, which I didn't think he could do to the extent that he did. So how that, that Keelan Robinson, Trey Wisner, that, 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 the dynamic of that position, if I can talk right today, how that plays out is really big. All right. And don't, don't put Keelan Robinson, don't run him in between the tackles like he did against Washington. Bad idea. So not, that's a dang, dang coaching mistake. It was not uh, not the best way to utilize Keelan Robinson. Better way Sark utilized him last year. The bowl game was not one of them. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. Inconceivable. We'll get it. Yeah, and somebody else mentioned on the text line, Savion Red. We didn't even mention Savion Red. Yeah. So he's part of that hybrid mix too. He could also – Savion Red, much better option to run between the tackles and use a short yardage goal line than Keelan Robinson. Agreed? I think there's – Multiple guys that you could argue that over Keelan Robinson, and no offense to Keelan Robinson, it's just not who his type of running back style is. If I'm if I'm picking a back to get the ball on goal to go short yardage situation, I'm getting to several guys in that room before deciding to let Keelan tote the rock in that situation. Like you said, Cam, just not conducive to his skill set. I do I do want Jaden Blue to do something big this year, just so I can see if Craig will say, "You're my boy, Blue." During a Jaden Blue touchdown call, you think it's probably do, on the table. You think you'd do it? Is there is there odds on that? Can we uh, look on Caesar Sportsbook to see if there's odds on Greg Way saying that? Or well, uh, we might get a pot going here at the station. See how many units can, can mm-hmm. move on some nuggies on a Craig Way Jaden Blue call. All right, take a break. Come back. Inconceivable. We'll get us out of hour number one and into hour number two here on Let the Tower on the Horn. Live, local, and digital on the Horn app at hornfm.com. Craig Way and Jeff Howe light the tower. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. All right. Close out hour number one. Get to hour number two. Cam, what do you got? Cameron Parker, folks, a player in today's presentation with Inconceivable. When you hear um, Dennis Rodman has a statement, like, is that, where is that at, like, for you today? That's an, okay, immediate, I gotta... that's an immediate red flag, also immediate stop down as I need to see what, what, he the, said, what right? the worm is saying. Absolutely, 100%. So, we've already heard him, you know, completely knock on MJ, right? You know, he said to MJ what LeBron is, the the goat and all that. Um, all, all kind of, it gets to the point where I don't even care what Rodman says about Michael Jordan. Clearly, he's still butthurt about the whole thing for some reason. Well, Jeff, this is not about Michael Jordan. This is about another great NBA player, Larry Bird. Where are you at with Larry Bird? Uh, Larry Larry Legend, very good player. Uh, one of the best shooters, one of the best passers, one of the best scorers. And Larry Bird, top top five, top seven, all-time greatest player in league history. Uh, by the way, I'm just glad this isn't a uh, Kim Jong-un update. So thankful that I'd much rather be discussing Larry Bird than... Uh, the leader of North Korea. I, I was right thinking now. of Scotty Pippen, not not Robin. Yeah, Robin's up there too. Who's very tight with uh, with Dennis Robin, by the way. I, I don't know if Robin said anything like that about Michael Jordan. I know Scotty Pippen has, but Robin came pretty close to a a statement that's close to it because he said if Larry Bird played in this era, I think he'd be in Europe. 
There's no way. I think the kid from Denver, Nikola Jokic, is better than him. Now, when it's all said and done with Jokic's career, maybe you can make an argument for that. But to think that Larry Bird would be playing in Europe right now is uh, yeah, straight up blasphemy. We're going to have to go ahead and sort of disagree with him there. Uh, not buying that. Larry Bird playing in Europe. Dude, Larry Bird, you think about Larry Bird might have a more prolonged career playing in the NBA today because his body wouldn't be taking the beating that it took in the 80s. Yeah, if he had the medical treatment, the access to what they have now back then, I mean, his career was cut pretty short in the 90s because of his back. I mean, he could barely even play in the uh, the 1992 Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. Like you see, he, the you watch most of those videos, like he's laying down. Yeah, the, the treatment he was getting before games and after games, I mean, it, it was brutal. Dude, Larry Legend was 6'9". Larry Bird, and if Larry Bird played in today's NBA, he, he could, dominate. He could he dominate. very much, Larry Bird could be a stretch five. He could shoot, he could play defense, he could pass. He could score from anywhere on the floor. Yeah, I don't think he'd be in Europe. Sorry, can you imagine, sorry, Rodman. Can you imagine if Larry Bird played with a guy? Pick pick your elite point guard in the NBA. If Larry Bird played with a dude like Luca, that mm. could just you could just spread the floor and and be an open shooter and and get the ball on drive and kick situations. I'm like God, dude, Larry Bird would average like 35 a game, and and, and got the green light to shoot. I'll look it up during the break how many threes a game Larry Bird shot during his career. But can you imagine, like, Larry yeah, Bird? Yeah, it was before I'm the three-point shot. I'm looking shot. at James Harden on TV right now. Like, if Larry Bird got the green light as much as James Harden gets it, dude, it'd be over. It'd be insane. And the, the three-point shot was not what it was then what it is no, now. No, no. Uh, speaking of point guards, Jeff, sorry to hear that Chris Paul will not be on the Mavericks for you next year. Yeah, uh, thank, thank goodness for that. I've already got enough reasons to be – you know, tread lightly as a Mavericks fan on getting my expectations too inflated. A Chris Paul move would have just said, you know what, I don't, I don't even care anymore. Just I'll, I would, that would have been it for you. I would be counting down the days until Luca left. To be honest with you, if, wow. if that had happened, yeah, wow. The point God, the point God would draw would drive Luca out of the. Let, not Kyrie Irving. I okay. Let me. I'll, again, during it, the during the break, I'll make a list of point guards all time that are better than Chris Paul. Oh boy! I bet you I can think of about five oh or boy. six guys before I get to Chris Paul. Getting close to the Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett situation again, dude. No, this is I don't know anybody, dude. Chris Paul is highly, highly overrated. Oh my lord! Top five point saying. guard of all time is Chris Paul. Cam. We might have to fight during the break. <laughs> we'll go through his stats. We'll go through it. We'll run it down in the break. We'll take a 20-minute break, and we'll just go straight through it. <sighs> okay. Let, let's get some crazy stories here. We're getting off track. All right. All right. Do you have anything else, Cam? No, nah, not until Dennis Robin says something else about <laughs> white bass. Next thing you know, like Pete Maravich couldn't play in this era. Yeah. Or, you know, if Luca played back in the day, like, I just – the fact that our our business, our industry has become aggregating stuff like this, just that that uh, that aggravates me more than the Dennis Rodman statement about Larry Bird. What the Chris Ball statement? No, the Dennis Rodman. No, the fact that that's that became a big story that everybody has to talk about. Oh man, did you hear what Dennis Rodman said about Larry Bird? And could, the fact that we just wasted time. We're, I'm just buying into everything that's wrong with our industry. Yeah, we're fully into it. Yeah. But yes, we do need to have. I do need to set you straight on this Chris Ball argument. All right, last one here. Uh, it's a good one. A 300-pound pot-bellied pig in Wisconsin is safe uh, after he escaped his enclosure. 
And the happy ending could only have been accomplished with an unexpected treat. Kim, what treat do you think lured this pig back to his enclosure? Mm. What, do, what do pigs eat? Hay? Uh, everything, if you let them. Yeah. Uh, Grimace's happy birthday meal from McDonald's. Fruit snacks. Oh, okay. The Green Bay Police Department posted the tale in a Facebook post describing the adventures of Albert who lost his way on the west side of the city. Albert walked out of his enclosure last month after the fence was left open, and officers were quick to spot the animal who needed a helping hand. Police went door-to-door asking if anyone recognized the pig roaming through the neighborhood, and a neighbor eventually pointed them in the right direction. Luckily, Albert's owner pulled out a bag of sweet and sticky treats, a.k.a. fruit snacks, and was able to lead him back home. Were they Welch's? Doesn't say if they were Welch's or if they were Definitely like were the, Welch's. the generic ones that you buy at like Sam's or Costco, which are which are fine. Which are fine. I ain't knocking those at all. I think I th- it sounds like Big Al, aka Albert, is probably a Welch's guy. He's gonna... a he's a three hundred pound he's a three hundred pound pot belly pig. So I'm sure Al- Albert likes all kinds of fruit snacks, but fruit snacks would definitely lure me home if I was lost and couldn't find my way home or. Was struggling to get home. I'm always have to say is, hey, I just bought a box of fruit snacks. <laughs> yeah, I'm on my, my way. My ass is on the way there. I, sweets are going to be my downfall, Cam. When I when I leave this mortal world, go look, just try to look at. I just ask like my wife or whoever's around me. Well, what did he eat last? And it's going to be like a cinnamon roll or a donut or fruit snacks or some something of that ilk. That's going to be my undoing. Yeah, ultimately. I just uh, went through a crumble cookie run this past week. Uh, I'm going to have to. Take like a month off from sweets because those things are so, so good. Yeah, I ate horribly at Disneyland, by the way. I mean, you can't really eat healthy there, can yeah, you? Yeah, vac- no, my vacation. Because you're on vacation. You can eat whatever you eating want. Healthy was, eating healthy was doomed the minute I started looking at where we were eating. I'm like, okay, yeah. Um, speaking of Disney Disney World, did I say Disneyland? I'm in Disney World. Speaking of Disney World, I'll get to some vacation breakdown when we come back here on Light the Tower. On the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.